Hi. Welcome to Home from Home, a journey into elderly care. My name is Nir. Over the pandemic, I've been having conversations with people whose parents have gone into residential care. I wanted to have these conversations because I too have been experiencing what it's like to watch my grandparents go from being independent and adamant that they would never go into a care home to being in supported living. I wanted to find out more about the people in the care system and to see how other people with elderly relatives feel about it because so much of that world happens behind closed doors. I needed to know more. What you're about to hear is the third of a series of three podcasts made from those conversations. We've chosen three very different stories, but you can imagine them like acts of the same play or songs that are part of the same service. If you like, you can scroll through our zine, an illustrated booklet inspired by some of the things that people have said. It isn't a program, but it is something that you can look at digitally or if you want, you could print it out so you can hold it in your hands whilst you listen to the people's stories. One of the people I talked to was Paul. Hi, Am. Hey, there, how are you? I'm all right. I met him on a video call during lockdown. We talked about how unfamiliar it feels to start supporting family members who need intense forms of care. It's complex for everyone to manage, and it makes me feel how unprepared we are as a society for this, so... Yeah, it's, it's something I hadn't thought about until suddenly I had to think about it a lot. And that was the real shock for me. I just, I just sort of thought, oh, some sort of process kicks in and then something happens, but nothing happens at all. I've got two brothers. We sort of all took up different parts of the fight because it did feel like a fight for a while. But I just couldn't help but think about those people who, who don't have any kind of real support network or just someone who doesn't necessarily have the sheer energy to persist in terms of getting the care that someone might need. Here, from Ad Infinitum, is episode three, A Lease of Life. So, so the the experience that I have is through my dad, um, and he is. He's still alive. He's now, he's 76 now. And he's been in a care home for just about four years. But before that, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's for 14 years, I think. And he was getting increasingly worse at home. Um, and he, he lived with my mum until four years ago in a, sort of, in a fairly unhappy scenario for both of them. Um, and he was adamant he was always absolutely adamant that he never ever wanted to go into a care home and he was very very persistent about this and as you know as the time went on you know sort of around about five years ago my mum was having to care for him in quite a severe way because of everything that Parkinson's brings with it and it's it's this awful thing that no one 
every every single person experiences it in a different way so there's no cure there's no assured way of slowing it down or anything but basically he he has uncontrollable shaking which then eventually leads to freezing because obviously then it just totally wears away the muscles it totally destroys the muscle because it's just non-stop and what also comes along with it are hallucinations and dementia And he'd been in hospital numerous times with various things in connection to it. And my mum was having to look after him a lot. It was difficult for her to leave the house. Um, and it was, yeah, it was very, very full on. And actually the worry was that it was going to kill my mum before it killed him. Because she was so exhausted. And I remember waking up one night and uh, and it was when my mum was away and I was looking after dad. So I woke up and I was like, what is that noise? What is that noise I'm hearing? And it sounded like a dog that had been, had its leg broken. Wow. And it was just, it was like, <laughs> like this. And I was like, what? And then, you know, I was just woke up. I was like, what? It was three in the morning. I was like, what is that noise? And, I, and it was my dad. Oh, and it was, uh, and he was just making, and he was making this noise and he was just like, he was just crying and and saying oh jesus no no why jesus why jesus and things like this and i'm sorry i'm sorry like all this sort of stuff oh oh my god this is this is this is really a head fuck for me to hear this but it happened regularly that that was sort of going on it was in november of 2016 when um my dad got taken into hospital what had happened was that he'd got up and he'd started walking his walk was a, a shuffle by this point um, and he'd frozen and he just couldn't he couldn't move or bend anything so my mum couldn't get him to sit down she just, I mean she just couldn't do anything you know she's of a similar age and you know just doesn't have the strength to start maneuvering someone around and so he got taken into hospital and he ended up staying in hospital then for 10 weeks. It had been a recurring theme throughout any time that I'd spent with my dad, sort of in the, in the years leading up to that, that we, should, we were never to put him into a care home and that he's, he would sort of, sort of threaten us about what he would do if we tried to put him into a care home. He was absolutely adamant that he always wanted to have his independence and felt that bad things happened to people in care homes. Uh, yeah, and, and he'd say sort of, I suppose he'd say things like sort of, you know, I, I will never forgive you if you do this. We're a, we're, we're an Irish Catholic family. And, you know, his mum had been ill for a while, but he made sure she didn't go into a home. And the idea was that we, that was now our task, not to make sure he didn't go into a home. But after these 10 weeks in hospital, it was really clear that there was just no way he could go back to living with my mum. And none of the three of us, the three sons, there was just no way that, that we could be there either you know we just we wouldn't be able to work or do anything if we were there you know that was it, it was impossible so you know taking all the advice from everyone really was just you know he needs to, we need to find a care home for him to be in and we were put in touch with the council's liaison person for putting people into care homes and we were assigned three different care homes to choose from and the very first one we went to 
was, I mean, was just unreal. I mean, it was within a minute of being there, there was a mass brawl in the living room of like people like, like full on punching each other and kicking each other, all this kind of going on. Um, all the floor was sort of uneven and stuff, you know, my dad with his shuffling walk, this was not going to work. And we went past a room where they were doing some training and it just so happened that I just heard the person who was leading the training going, oh my God, it's just impossible to get anything done in here. You don't have any of the right equipment. <laughs> and like, we were going, okay, right. And, and things weren't clean. And my mum and I just told us that there is just no way he is going here. The well, next thing I heard, I got a call from my mum. She had just got a call from the organisation saying that my dad had been assigned to that first care home, even though we had said, like, we're just, this is uh, totally unacceptable. They were picking him up within an hour and a half from hospital. And I mean, I just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And first of all, I, I then called my uncle, who's my dad's brother, and I said, Mick, get to the hospital now and make sure that no one takes him. Just go there and just stop them. You know, because my uncle Mick's a big enough guy that, you know, sort of like, I mean, obviously I wasn't, no one's being aggressive, but I'm saying just, just stop them because we've said that we don't want him to go there. And then I called up the person who had assigned my dad to there. So I was just trying to get into the, like, what is the process behind how this has happened exactly? The cheapest bid won. And eventually, um, and they got the cheapest bid because they said my dad didn't need 24-hour care. And we were saying, well, he, he does need 24-hour care, is, up, is our kind of opinion. Anyway, so eventually we kind of came to an agreement that he wasn't going to go there. Uh, he was going to go to this other one that was quite nice, but that wasn't, uh, that wasn't suggesting that he needed 24-hour care. So reluctantly, we said, okay, given what our options are here right now, we'll, we'll take it. So then we were all there when he was moved into the care home. And I think that was probably the most upsetting time, I think, because he, I mean, he was, he was furious that he was being put into a care home. And, um, you know, without kind of going into too much depth about our relationship, we've always had kind of quite a difficult relationship, all of my brothers with my dad. And... Um, and what's weird now, of course, is that he's this frail old man. And so for a long time, I thought, you know, there are certain things that there's no point in me bringing up with him because he's not the same person that he was then. And he's not always with it anyway. But he still has the ability to absolutely scare the shit out of me and my two brothers. And there was a lot of that going on during this time when we were with him when he was being transported. And, and it was just pretty awful then seeing him, you know, he's, he's kind of become a bit sort of skin and bones. He used to be kind of quite big guy and he's just kind of skin and bones now and you know him being sort of like hoisted up from his hospital bed on like on a stretcher basically into somewhere else and then hoisted off there and you know he's just sort of dangling there this this little old man so he went to this care home um where they didn't where they they got the cheaper bid because they weren't 24 hour and unfortunately within three days he was back in hospital because overnight he'd fallen out of his bed and he'd smashed up his face, which is what, I mean, was what we told them would happen. And the matron on the ward in hospital, you know, she was saying to us, what happened? What happened? He said, well, he didn't have 24-hour care. So, you know, this happened overnight. She's like, what? It's obvious that he needs 24-hour care, but it turns out that 
no one consulted any nurse. None of the care homes asked any of the nurses who'd been caring for him for 10 weeks by that point about what maybe he needed. So in the end, after all that, he ended up going to the place that we'd originally, when we were asked to view the three places, had said, this is the place we'd like him to go to. And again, we had to kind of go through the process of getting him there and trying to get him to settle in. You know, it's very challenging when you see that suddenly here is this person in a little room and you have to then sign the forms that they are, that he doesn't have the right just to say, I want to leave, and that he leaves. But it, as a place, the, the care home, and it's the one that he's remained in now for nearly four years, it's been pretty good all in all. You know, there are always things that you kind of want to have different for your parents but with the awareness that there's 90 people there i feel like they do they do a pretty good job you know and it's all clean the lifts work there seem to be enough staff around the food looks you know vaguely edible and everything kind of seems to be sort of as it would be So he went in in early 2017 to the care home. Then I became a dad. And actually I spent most, so I spent the large part of that year preparing to become a dad. And also, I was thinking, I'm probably going to lose my dad as well. And those two thoughts sort of just in my head. And as it happened, obviously he's, I mean, he's going to outlive us all. It's like, he's just going to carry on and on and on. Um, and to be honest, we've sort of been expecting him to die any time because he goes through patches of being phenomenally unwell and he's in almost constant pain and it doesn't really feel like there's much to live for really and you know my dad's a very you know, has been in his life anyway a very devout catholic you know he's a good irish boy and unfortunately for him now he derives no comfort from it you know i'll say to him what about jc if this is the guy that we've been kind of hanging our hat on for so long and saying it's okay because there's this life beyond. But the impression I get is that he, he carries a lot of regrets about various things. And I think that is, I, I, I suspect that probably the, the thought of purgatory or hell is keeping him up, which is a shame. Yeah, it sounds a bit like he's in hell already in some aspects. Well, I mean, I'll be honest, it, it sometimes feels like it couldn't get a whole lot worse but is there no comfort in your later years to think that actually you're going on to something better you know i don't believe that but if you if that's what you're selling me then where is where is the comfort and every now and again there's a, a local priest comes to visit him at what point then do you actually say if i believe this then surely there's comfort in it but are we just you know as catholics do are we just repeating it because it's just, you know, it's just reflex. It really annoys me that we've all had to go through so much because we had to be brought up Catholic and I did not enjoy it as an experience. And so we went through all of that. But now, as he's reaching the last years of his life, it seems to be providing absolutely fuck all comfort. And like, what's the point? Like, where's the payoff on this? This is so annoying. Like, we've put in so much. Like, we have to go to mass. We have to feel bad about ourselves. We have to go to confession. I have to feel awful about whatever I'm feeling. And all da, 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 da. And for what? 
I mean, what's sort of, what's kind of difficult is obviously the huge sense of guilt about leaving someone in such a small place. Like my dad's sort of done many things in his life. Like he started off as a farmhand and then he's always like grown his own vegetables. Like he likes being outside doing things with his hands, like working like that. And he has none of that at all. So that's sort of quite challenging because then also it's difficult to, it's difficult to know what to talk to him about because you want to sort of report from the outside world, but at the same time, you know, you feel like you've denied him access to the outside world. So you're kind of dangling sort of like, isn't this, isn't this place that you can't go to? Great. Um, and I'm bringing news from this sort of magical place, the outdoors, um, that you can't ever experience again. Um, and as his Parkinson's has got kind of progressively worse, his hallucinations are getting kind of more and more full on. And so he'll tell you a lot of things that have happened to him in the care home that you can just only assume are not happening because of all the other things that he says that very definitely aren't happening. Like he's sort of telling, saying, he's telling you that there are people kind of like with, with guns firing in through the window and stuff like, Dad, I'm here, that is not happening, don't worry. And he keeps thinking that he's floated up to the corner of the room. That's one of his recurring sort of things is that he keeps thinking, he gets very stressed because he's lying on, in his bed and he just keeps thinking that he's floated up to the far right-hand corner of his room. He just keeps thinking he's up there. Um, and you just say to him, Dad, you're not. You're, you're lying down on the bed. The bed is on the ground. That's it. But he will then also sort of tell you that he's, he's being abused by the, by the staff and that there's sort of things that happen to him at night, which you sort of have to listen to. Uh, I don't want to just say, Dad, it's not happening, because sometimes it feels like that's not what he needs to hear. You kind of just, I just try to listen and, I don't know, I just sort of make up as I go along, really, but just trying to sort of, in some way reassure that everything's okay try to kind of put in there the idea that maybe this isn't happening because there are some other things that he describes that aren't happening and it's challenging because ultimately you'll hear the same story the next time or similar because he's stuck on a bit of a loop like his life is sort of just that over and over and over again I remember then he was particularly ill when my first daughter was born and I was really worried that he was never going to meet her because he was just having to be very very ill and I'd spent the whole period of when we were expecting the baby thinking dad's not gonna meet her when she was three days old I whisked her in the car I was like right we're gonna go and see my dad because you know I just want him to meet her in some form or other but it's a very difficult place to take a child as well like a care home because you know, she's only she's two and a half now and obviously we've not been for the most recent period anyway but even up until the last time we went which was sort of at the beginning of this year she's got no interest in sitting around and she just wants to run off into all sorts of different places say it gets to lunchtime and I tend not to stick around for lunch because it's a fairly tortuous affair and you know like I've got Una with me I think I'm just going to leave you to it but he then gets sat on a table with other people who, to be honest, probably aren't any that much worse than he is, but, but some of them have, you know, really, are, are much further progressed down the line of being ill and are nowhere near on the same planet. And they're holding like dollies, and and I find that 
I find that image very difficult to take because it just feels like you're sort of, every time it just feels like you're abandoning someone, leaving them on the scrap heap. Like what conversation is he, can he possibly have? What can he possibly get out of any day? And, I, you know, so it does, there are a lot of kind of recurring sort of cycles of, of guilt. And then in the last six months, obviously none of us have been able to go and visit him because of COVID. So instead we've been Skyping with him, which is a, which is a new kind of communication hell, um, in that he can't really speak very clearly. You can't really hear him. He can't really hear us. There's a lot of kind of talking across each other and confusion. You know, he's relatively fortunate in that my mum has been to visit him quite a lot while he's been there. My, my uncle, Mick, I've been whenever I can. Both my brothers now go whenever they can. He gets the occasional people that he used to play football with. He's kind of, he has a peculiarly large number of people visiting him. And it's, it's been great for my mum that he's no longer at home. And she feels a sense of relief that he's gone, but obviously then feels guilty about feeling relieved that he's gone. And, and to be honest, I mean, they have never got on. They, you know, it's that generational thing of they never got on, but they stayed married because that's just what you did. And it's, you know, it has given my mum a new lease of life. And I sort of, you know, I really, I really want that for her, that she should, if she wants to go on, on a trip with a mate, she should be able to do it. Um, and if she wants to go and meet up with a friend for a coffee, she can now do that. From Home, Journeys into Elderly Care was produced and composed with an original a cappella score by Jennifer Bell. With me, Nir Paldi, and generous contributors Kathy, Paul and Lizzie, and was an ad infinitum production with support from Arts Council England.